Well, hello there. Working like a woman. Listen, that is an awesome title. You should write a book about that. I just love the A. <laughs> That's cool. That is really cool. Once again, thank you for favoring my station. I favored your station. Looking forward to um, checking out some of your content. So keep up the good work. And with that being said, oh, this is Mr. Campbell from Cybershots, by the way. I'm sorry. And with that being said, peace, love, and light. Well, I actually brought up Anchor to record a segment on some other topics, which I will get to eventually, but I was reading the, the news headlines this morning, and it looks like a new quantum material has been, um, well, tentatively discovered. So my brain's uh, going a little crazy right now, and I'm trying to do a little research into it, and I'm going to play a few segments for you, you know, as, as I'm doing my research, and maybe you can follow along with me. It's really interesting, and it's, it's uh, you know, I love science. I've always, I've, I've followed science my entire life. My father was a physicist, and, um, you know, most of my family, and as I went through college, most of my friends were all scientists, and I've always been kind of sciencey. So anyway, I always I, I I love the science headlines. I love reading about them, and if I don't understand everything in them, I will go back and do some research so that I can at least try to understand them. So I thought it might be fun to to play along some of these things that I'm listening to to gain the knowledge to understand the article that I'm eventually going to play. It's exciting. In particle physics, there are lots of particle names, mostly ending with the syllable on. Electrons, protons, hadrons, baryons, leptons, mesons, and the list goes, well, on. But two particles have a special meaning, and those are fermions and bosons. Unlike all the other particle names, which are related to particles' electric charge, mass, or the forces they feel, the factor that both ties together and distinguishes fermions and bosons is the idea of subatomic spin. Since the early part of the 20th century, physicists have known that there is a natural unit of spin. This unit is represented by a symbol which is an H with a little slash through the top of it. We call it H-bar, but it is more properly called the reduced Planck constant. It has a value of 1.2 times 10 to the minus 34 joule seconds. Now that numerical value isn't something that you have to remember because we scientists use it as a unit just like you might use pounds or kilograms. I mean when you weigh yourself you probably don't always attach the unit. You don't say the scale said 150 pounds, you just say the scale said 150 today. In terms of spin, it's kind of the same way. If a subatomic particle has a spin of one unit of h-bar, we just say that the particle has a spin of one. If it has a spin of four units of h-bar, we say that the particle has a spin of four. When we talk about fermions and bosons, they represent different classes of particles, and they are distinguished by their spin. Bosons all have a spin that is an integer multiple of h-bar. They have spins of zero, one, two, three, and so on. In contrast, fermions all have half integers of spin, specifically a half, three-halves, five-halves, etc. So you might wonder if there are other possible values of spin, say a third or a quarter or something like that. The answer seems to be no. We have never observed 
any particles with any value of spin other than an integer or half integer. Now, you never say never in exploratory physics, and it may be that we'll find some new particle governed by new rules, but we probably won't. The reason I say that is that we can tie the spin to the mathematics that describes the particles. The technical term for the mathematics is called the wave function, but there appears to be just two possible forms. In one case, the equation of the particle seems to be symmetric, which means that if you flip it around the center, it looks just like it did before the flip. In the other case, the equation of the particle is anti-symmetric, which means if you flip it around the center, it's the opposite. This has real consequences when you're trying to do calculations, but you'll have to trust me on that one. Bosons, the particles with integer spin, are described by symmetric wave functions, while fermions, their half-integer spin cousins, have anti-symmetric wave functions. If fermions and bosons are different kinds of particles, they must have different properties, right? How are they different? Bosons are the puppies of the subatomic world. The more, the merrier. You can have an unlimited number of bosons in the same place at the same time. In contrast, fermions can be thought of as subatomic cats. They're standoffish. Two identical fermions cannot be in the same place at the same time. If you ever took a chemistry class, you probably encountered the Pauli exclusion principle, which explained why atomic orbitals are the way they are. It boiled down to identical electrons cannot exist, and since electrons are examples of fermions, it all hangs together. In the particle physics world, all of the particles of matter, the quarks and the leptons, are fermions. In contrast, the particles of force, the force-carrying bosons, are, well, of course, bosons. Quarks and leptons all have a spin of a half. Well, technically, since they can spin clockwise or counterclockwise, they can have a spin of plus a half or minus a half. But that's a minor complication to what I'm talking about here. What's really important to know is that there are no fundamental particles of the standard model with spins of three halves, five halves, or anything like that. Only a half. On the boson side, there's more diversity. The Higgs boson has a spin of zero. The photon of the electromagnetic force the gluon of the strong force and the W and Z bosons of the weak force all have a spin of one. And the graviton, which is the hypothetical and undiscovered carrier of gravity, must have a spin of two. So that's about it. You have the gregarious force-carrying bosons and the standoffish matter fermions. They are important because they represent two distinct classes of particles in the standard model. They also have an interesting significance in that the fermion and boson roles in the standard model are blurred in some speculative theories that go beyond the standard model. For instance, in a class of theories that include a principle called supersymmetry, all of the known fermions are hypothesized to have new boson cousins that are identical in every way except for spin. Similarly, the known bosons are postulated to have a new cousin fermion. I made a couple of videos about supersymmetry and why the idea is considered interesting by researchers. Check them out if you want to learn about the idea. In this video, my goal was to teach you about the differences between fermions and bosons, and I hope I've done that, because all of these particle physics terms are enough to make your head spin. Welcome.
to interesting science. In this video, we're going to talk about the recent discovery of whale fermions at Princeton University. This discovery has the potential to revolutionize our electronics. But before we get into that, let's first talk about what fermions actually are. Now, fermions are quantum particles with a spin of a half. So particles that we're familiar with are electrons. So they're fermions and they have a spin of one half. Now the equation that describes how these fermions work is called the Dirac equation. And the solutions of Dirac equation give us, um, tell us about the existence of fermions. So the electron has a solution to the Dirac equation and so too does the positron, the anti-electron. Now we know that both of these things exist in nature, so the Dirac equation has succeeded in predicting the existence of the positron and the electron. But other solutions to the Dirac equation also exist. In 1932, Hermann Weyl found a solution to the Dirac equation for a massless fermion. Now this was of particular interest to researchers because a massless fermion would be very, very useful in lots of applications. Now several decades later, um, the Princeton University group has detected a whale fermion, but it's not a fundamental particle, like the electron and positron. Instead, it's a quasi-particle made up of several different electrons inside of a material. And the way this whale fermion behaves is like it was predicted with zero mass. Now this has some interesting applications in the sense that a whale fermion, since it has zero mass, can travel at the speed of light. So we have faster movement of uh, electron-like things in your electronics it also doesn't interact too much with atoms inside your material. So as electrons travel through your electronics, they get bumped around by the atoms along their way, which slows them down. However, the whale fermion doesn't bump around on these things so much, rather than just go straight through them, like it doesn't see the atoms there. So those are two immediate applications of the whale fermion that we can think of and they could apply very well to developing quantum computers, which would revolutionize um, computing in general. But as the leader of the group, Zahad Hassan at Princeton University told physicsworld.com, the physics of the whale fermion are so strange, there could be many things that arise from this particle that we're just not capable of imagining now. And I think this sums up very well um, the research process. We discover something which um, has unique properties, and we know it will be useful, but we just don't know how it could be useful. So I think the future for these whale fermions is very, very bright. Now the Princeton group is continuing the research into whale fermions by finding out what materials you can create these whale fermions in. Now, the previous research by this group 
has been verified by an independent research group. So these whale fermions do exist, and their application to electronics, we may not even know what that may be. So the future is looking pretty exciting for these whale fermions and perhaps for our future electronics. That's it for this video. In the description, there will be some links to articles about the whale fermion if you want to learn some more about this strange new quasi-particle. And if you like this video, please do leave a like and share it among your friends. Thanks for watching and see you next time. I know a lot of listeners out there are not in the United States and a lot of you have healthcare universally for everyone and you know I'm quite sure none of you take it for granted but we don't have I'm sure you're well aware we don't have it here and to get to the point where we can worry about our emotional needs and don't get me wrong that is extremely important but to get to the point where we are concerned about our emotional and our um, you know our emotional well-being or a mental well-being we don't even have access to basic physical health care and uh, you know a lot of health care comes with um, you know mental health care as well we don't have access to that either it is a serious problem in this country and serious problem elsewhere in the in the world of course but what is it why can we not just have basic access to health care for everyone so we can move beyond this fundamental human need and move on to the next step. We aren't going to get anywhere until we have basic access to basic things. I mean, how can anyone imagine that people in this country are going to act emotionally, mentally stable when they don't have access to any help physically, mentally, nothing. It is insane and it is not the least bit surprising that we have so many issues. Okay, you want to go beyond health care? Oh, let's go to education. The education system in this country is terrible. And now they're taking away tax benefits to go to graduate school. You know, no one can afford to go to college anymore. Why is, at least the first two years, why is it not free? Come on, where are our priorities here? We need access to basic health care. We need access to education. And everyone needs to have some money to live. If you are not fortunate enough to have a job or you're not mentally stable enough to have a job, you still are a human and you still need to be able to live like a human being. We have a huge homeless problem 
in this country. You know, hearing these stories, I keep saying, that's it, we're moving to Europe. We're moving to Canada. But, you know, I don't want to run away from the problem. But what can we do? What can we do here as just, uh, as just a citizen? What can we do? Something needs to be done. Isn't the memory a, a strange thing? Do you think that you remember exact events, exactly where it took place, how it took place, when it took place? You, you, your brain tricks you into believing you remember all these complete, vivid details. And, you know, as the memories age, of course, the, the memories, um, they warp and they alter. I mean, yeah, you still remember the general gist. And usually what you remember is your feelings at the time, the emotions that were there. But, you know, the, the imprint of the faces and the details of the surroundings fade in time. And it's interesting and concerning, yet completely normal at the same time. Good example here, this polar bearing conversation with Patrick. Now, I went polar bearing, you know, several years during college. And we went, I guess, to different places because I remember going into Lake Ontario. And I remember jumping off of an ice edge. But once I go back and, you know, Patrick gave me some information. And then I go back and I watch some videos. I'm like, oh, yes, I remember. In Lake Ontario, you have to wade in. And then, yes, it was probably a different lake where we jumped in. Yet the memory merges these things together. It's so fascinating. And, you know, it makes you wonder how many um, other past events that your brain has merged together and it's become, you know, it's an event, but it's become this merged event. You know, it's a bit like that game that you play when you're kids where you whisper something in the ear next to you, you know, the person's ear next to you, and it goes around the circle and you whisper, 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 and then when it gets to the end, they say what was said, and it is not what was said. <laughs> Yet if you go backwards through the circle and the person before you says what they actually said, you can kind of, you know, unravel the mystery and find out where it morphed and where it changed. I know my sister and I have totally different uh, recollections of events from when we were children. You know, I'll, I'll say, oh, no, this happened, and it happened in this way, and she'll be like, oh, no, 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 it happened in this way. And in reality... It's probably somewhere in the middle. You feel like you feel like you're in control of your brain and, and you, you 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 know you've got control of you know exactly what you've said and exactly what you've done, but it is really amazing that we don't. And isn't it funny that as soon as you're presented with a picture or a video that was either no, really an actual historic picture or a video of, no, that's how this happens or, no, this is what this place actually looks like. 
isn't it funny how the brain is just like, snap, the memory is just right there. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's it. So it's in there. But why can't you recall it until you're presented with the picture? And isn't it at this point where a lot of people get in trouble because they're stubborn they won't admit that they're wrong or their egos have just taken over. And I've, I've, I've met plenty of people who you're like, no, it didn't happen that way. It happened this way. Or no, it doesn't look like this. It looks like this. And you're like, oh, no, no, no. But, you know, I, I, th- I find it more fascinating that my brain is playing tricks with me than, um, you know, trying to prove that you're right. That's, that's just silly. But that really, that is a huge problem in our society where and it all comes back to the brain it's the brain playing tricks with you so if we were educated enough as a society to realize that hey we're not really in control here and the brain's not always quite given us the right information think of how many silly problems would just go away Okay, I'm going to go one step further here. Do you think it's possible that this is why, as a society, as a human race, race, we don't seem to learn from past mistakes? We don't seem to learn from past history. We tend to repeat history over and over and over. I am just about to head off to work and... I just had to wish everyone a happy winter solstice. I, I love this. I, I, I love this day of the year. So I'm going to read something from Wikipedia, in case you don't know what the winter solstice is. The winter solstice, also known as midwinter, is an astronomical phenomenon marking the day with the shortest period of daylight and the longest night of the year. In the Northern Hemisphere, this is the December solstice, and the Southern Hemisphere, this is the June solstice. The axial tilt of Earth and gyroscopic effects of its daily rotation mean that the two opposite points in the sky to which the Earth's axis of rotation points, axial precession, change very slowly, making a complete circle approximately every 26,000 years. As the Earth follows its orbit around the Sun, the polar hemisphere that faced away from the Sun, experiencing winter, will, in half a year, face towards the Sun and experience summer. This is because the two hemispheres face opposite directions along Earth's axis, and so as one polar hemisphere experiences winter, the other experiences summer. Thank you so much for that, Colin, and that is exactly it. It is like it's... You know, it's it's the end of the darkness. It's the beginning of you know, the day is getting longer, and um, you know we're looking forward to spring and more daylight, and you just it, it starts to feel so much better. The celebration of the winter solstice, um, especially as a, a pagan celebration, has been around for you know long time. It's it's part of human history, and 
I'd, I'd, I'd love to share some information with you for those of you who are not familiar with the various pagan rituals. For pagans and Wiccans, the winter solstice is um, you know, often celebrated as Yule. Now, Yule is a season. And of course, the winter solstice is a moment in time. And yesterday at, I believe it was 8.28 a.m. was the actual winter solstice. Well, 8.28 a.m. Eastern time. Now, I'm in California. No, I'm sorry. 11.28 Eastern time. 8.28 Pacific time. Now, Yuletide generally begins on Mother's Night the night of the solstice, and continues for a week or two after. Now, some pagans celebrate Yule earlier. You know, they might have their Yuletide celebration before the solstice, and some after the solstice. It depends on your particular, um, you know, your particular celebration and the people that you're with. But it, it's appropriate at any time because Yule is actually a season. The celebration of Yule is one of the oldest winter celebrations in the world. I'm going to read something that I found on the, the BBC, actually, about the winter solstice. And it says, Ancient people were hunters and spent most of their time outdoors. <clears throat> the seasons and weather played a very important part in their lives. Because of this, many ancient people had a great reverence for and even worshipped the sun. The Norsemen of Northern Europe saw the sun as a wheel that changed the seasons. It was from the word for this wheel, whole, whole Yule, I guess. The word Yule is thought to have come. At midwinter, the Norsemen lit bonfires, told stories, and drank sweet ale. The ancient Romans also held a festival to celebrate the rebirth of the year. Saturnalia ran for seven days from the 17th of December. It was the time when the ordinary rules were turned upside down, Men dressed as women and masters dressed as servants. The festival also involved decorating houses with greenery, lighting candles, holding processions, and giving presents. The winter solstice falls on the shortest day of the year and was celebrated in Britain long before the arrival of Christianity. The Druids would cut the mistletoe that grew on the oak tree and give it as a blessing. Oaks were seen as sacred, and the winter fruit of the mistletoe was a symbol of life in the dark winter months. It was also the Druids who began the tradition of the Yule Log. The Celts thought that the sun stood for twelve days in the middle of winter, and during this time a log was lit to conquer the darkness, banish evil spirits, and bring luck for the coming year. Many of these customs are still followed today. They have been incorporated into the Christian and secular celebrations of Christmas. So I wish to all of you a joyful Yuletide. Hey, Ronnie, it's Patrick, and I wanted to call and say thank you for supporting me here at We Live on a Planet. Um, and I'm glad that we got to, to meet up and share our feelings and our thoughts and our memories and all that stuff together. And I'm real thankful for this community and this type of platform, and it's, it's really fun. And I really appreciate it. So happy holidays and Merry Christmas and all that good stuff to you and yours. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much again. Peace. A statement. 
destabilizing this ontological settlement establishment of what we thought we knew, bridging particles with this new proposition, beyond the mirage of imprinted information, relayed in Collier's message with inspiration of an undiscovered world, antimatter particles found in pockets, bartered for a spare set of realities, sparked by the questioning mentality that made us whole, the soul beat that made our marionettes dance. So hello everyone and welcome to the final Formula Friday and I have finished with Dirac's equation as you can see down here um, and I was thinking you know uh, if I saw this back you know a year later and just think of all the ways that we can stage YouTube videos and so on and um, how I would manage to get this piece of paper stuck with blue tack. You can actually see the depth, the depth <laughs> of how far this paper is away from me. Um, I could actually bring it out here and show you. Um, <laughs> but until then, I will um, stick with my piece of paper here. And um, yeah, let's get on with Formula Friday. So uh, Dirac's equation, as you can see down here, is one of the most popular examples of what makes an equation beautiful and innovative, since um, this project, Formula Friday, was actually based on this BBC project in which uh, scientists and mathematicians were discussing what they believed was the most beautiful and the most profound equation, and this is one of them. I will link down the information that will tell it far better than I can. But um, this equation implied the existence of antimatter, which is an interesting segue as the last um, poem I did on verse day was about antimatter propulsion and how it could be possible within a decade. So you can see it up here. So what's interesting about Dirac's equation amongst many things is that it um, unified Einstein's theory of relativity with quantum mechanics. So we can kind of see the ideals of movement of small particles and how they actually function <laughs> in general. And it's a really interesting thing that I want to learn more about. And I want to um, know whether I'm actually talking sense at this point, which would also help. So um, yes, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed the last Formula Friday. If you enjoyed the poem, be sure to give it a thumbs up. I'm always appreciative of feedback you may have. And if you'd like to subscribe, I do science poems every Thursday on uh, a topic called Thursday. So if you want to know more about that and you want to subscribe, you can click here. So I want to say thank you so much again and I hope you've enjoyed Formula Friday. I hope by next year I'll have learned a little more and can share a little more of information. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. Have a great weekend everyone and I will see you soon hopefully for Thursday. So, signing off. Hey Ronnie, it's Patrick. Uh, I'm calling you guys again. I I, I feel like I'm stalking you and your husband, but more, you guys are really um, putting some things in my brains that I've never even heard of. I've never heard of the Kardashev uh, system or check that he was talking about. And boson, I've heard of the Higgs boson, you know, but 
fermions and bosons? Oh my. I mean, I'm learning all kinds of new stuff and I appreciate it. And I mean that sincerely. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's groovy what you guys are doing. I feel, I feel stupid. <laughs> all right. Take care. And, uh, oh, hey, and the drunk, what you're talking about, people drunk on uh, shopping, either there's the nice drunks or the mean drunks and same with shopping. I was always that nice drunk when I was a drinker, but okay. Thanks so much. And thanks for teaching me all kinds of new stuff today, you guys. I appreciate it. Sincerely. Hey, Patrick. Thanks for that call in. And you're not, we don't feel like we're being stalked. We'd love it that you're listening. And I, you know, we love it that other people are learning something because isn't that the whole point? If we didn't want to share and, and didn't want other people to learn from what we're learning, well, you know, we just keep it to ourselves. So that's the point, and that is the beauty of Anchor. And I'm so happy that you're finding it, um, you know, not only something worth listening to, but you're actually learning something from it. Because that, you know, Z and I were just talking about this the other day, and really... I, my opinion is if something, if I'm going to spend my time listening to something, I not only want to be you know, at least semi-entertained, I want to learn something. So I really hope that we are fulfilling that for everyone. And thanks for listening. I love your station. We always listen to your station and um, yeah, call in anytime. There's been some discussion over on Z Station about uh, the, the Kardashev scale and, you know, where, where should we be or wh why are we at zero? To me, it makes perfect sense that we would start now at zero or, you know, 0 0.73 or whatever that, that uh, video said, because we're only just beginning. What what have we done that is so great? We haven't even we haven't left the planet yet. So we have to start at zero. This is just the beginning. And if we don't do anything, well, we're just big fat zeros anyway. So it, zero makes perfect sense. I mean, really, this should serve as some incentive for us to get out there and start learning our science. How many people do you know who know anything about science? Why is it lost to us? Why are we going backwards? Come on, people, wake up, learn your science, advance, support the sciences. I bet you know an awful lot about Kim Kardashian. What do you know about science? Come on. <laughs>